Welcome to Unsuitable on Ray Radio, the award-winning financial services and business advisory podcast that challenges your old-school business practices and the traditional business suit culture. Our guests are industry professionals and experts who will challenge you to think beyond the suit and tie while offering you meaningful modern solutions to help enhance your company's growth. I'm your host, Dave Kane. Last week, Dave Phillips, President and Chief Operating Officer of Architectural Systems Incorporated, in Columbus, Ohio, joined us to share his recent employee stock ownership plan experience. This week, we're going to get a glimpse into the technical side of the process without getting too far into the weeds. Actually, today's guest is pretty good at staying out of the weeds entirely, which is good because from what I understand, ESOPs can be very complex, and our guest today is going to make it a lot easier. Tim McDaniel, a principal and director of valuation services here at Ray and Associates, has returned to the podcast to tell us why ESOPs are growing in popularity, how they compare with other succession options, and what goes into the implementation. Welcome back to Unsuitable, Tim. Well, thank you, Dave. So uh, not only are you an expert, very famous in the valuation and ESOP area, you're also a big sports fan. That's correct. And, of course, this this coming uh, weekend starts the... NFL draft. That's right. And as a Browns fan, you know, you're uh, you're looking to see what's going to happen. Who are we drafting? Well, you, you know, I tell my friends, and that includes my new wife, who's a Bengals fan, you know, why it's so great to be a Browns fan? Because in February, March, and April, we're all excited. And the rest of the people are bored. Yeah, that's and right. Then, and then on the beautiful Sunday afternoons in the fall, we take hikes and do fun things. And, so that's why it's great to be a Browns is. fan. It, and uh, I think it's going to be Darnold or Allen, number one. And I'm hoping for Barkley at number four. I got you. I'm but totally I'm not, with you. But not sure if that's going to happen. Yeah. Good. So Good. Well, let's uh, keep our fingers crossed and, right. uh, and we'll find out this weekend what's happening. Okay. So uh, today we're going to talk about ESOPs, maybe take a little different uh, Approach ESOP standing for Employee Stock Ownership Plan. Right. ESOP for short. I did I get that correct? You are correct. So one of the things maybe uh, I want to ask you, maybe this is a question and answer, but do ESOPs pay federal income tax? It depends. If you're a hundred percent S Corp uh, ESOP, you pay no federal income tax, whether you make a dollar or two billion dollars. Because it's a retirement plan that's deferred from taxes. So that gets a lot of airtime. And and is that maybe, uh, I don't want to say clouding uh, the issue, but uh, the rush uh, for business owners to to step to the plate and and put in an ESOP? It's a major component. I mean, it is a driver. Just think about if you get an ESOP is a leverage deal. So it's 100% ESOP, it's 100% leverage. So you have to pay a bank back and pay back the shareholder who probably will lend to the ESOP. If you're paying no taxes, it's much easier to pay that loan back. So it is a driving force of it, but it's not the only decision. It's, it's part of the equation. It's it may be a large equation. part. It, that's correct. And, and some uh, business owners may have selective hearing, and that's what they hear. And right. they, that's the driving force. But I think I've heard you say time and time again, there are many different factors, that being one. Yeah. Let's say in the tax thing, if you're a C-Corp and you sell to an ESOP, you can defer your gain forever, perhaps. It's called 1042. And if you sell to the ESOP, 
They give you a check. You reinvest that money in qualified investments. You don't pay taxes on that until you pull the money out of those investments. And some people in their part of their estate plan pay no income tax or tax on that deal. You know, one of the things that uh, you write blogs, and it's even in uh, in your book, uh, one of the uh, succession plan strategy, uh, tongue-in-cheek, is diet your desk. That's one of them. That's not the best one. But that's one of them. <laughs> that's one of them. That's and, right. And uh, so let's talk about um, a couple other areas of succession plan and sure. where ESOP ranks in, in that yeah. uh, ranking. So as a business owner, when you have a business... It's probably more than 50 or 60% of your total net worth. It's a big part of it. So the question is, how do I monetize this? And there's a lot of different options. Diet your desk. Let everybody clean it up is not a very good option. But the other options is to sell it to somebody. You could sell it to an outside party. The most dollars you get is what's called a synergistic buyer. That somebody who is bigger than you within your industry can pay more because they can cut jobs and do those type of things. Now, the bad news about synergistic buyers, sometimes you lose your identity. Some owners don't feel good that somebody they worked with for 20, 30 years loses their jobs, jobs right. and those type of things. But that gives you the most money on top. But that might be an asset transaction. ESOPs are always stock transactions, so you pay lower tax. So... That's part of the analysis we do, a feasibility study. We show the business owner, if you do an ESOP, what's your after-tax proceeds? And compare it to an M&A deal if you sell it to a bigger buyer. So they can see in black and white what the bottom line proceeds will be if they do an ESOP. So you're doing both on both sides. It's certainly the analytical uh, consulting to look at uh, at the deal, right. but also you're bringing in, hey, there are emotional issues that well Absolute. that cannot be measured, and 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 that's maybe uh, a very very valuable piece of your consulting team's uh, process. Absolutely, that's the first question I ask the business owner: What is the most important thing to you when you sell your business? Is it legacy, top dollar? Rarely can you have both. You know, if legacy is the most important thing, that means you have to sell to your employees and they will not pay the top dollar. If you want top dollar, different approach. Different approach. But uh, what I'm finding is more and more business owners are really, really concerned about their legacy. And this is where ESOPs really come in, is a great plan for that. You know, why do you, why do you think that uh, there's the shift? Is it, uh, is it maybe the age of the business owner? Yeah, I think there's a lot of things. Um, they hear horror stories about M&A transactions, how hard the due diligence is. Sometimes they might write a letter of intent and say, we're going to pay you $10 million for this business. They do the due diligence. We found some awards on your baby. That never feels good. Uh-oh. And because of those awards, we're going to pay you $8 million. And that, that happens... Sometimes in M&A deals, that's the nice thing about ESOP transaction. You're selling it to yourself. You're selling it to your employees. Once the thing's negotiated with the trustee, it's going to be a done deal and stuff like that. Yeah. The due diligence process is a lot more smoother. You know, over the course of our careers, we've worked with, uh, in, in, in these are typical clients within Ray & Associates, uh, portfolio is their family-owned businesses, family-run businesses, generations to generation. 
in some of these businesses, they're coming to an end. There are, there are no more sons or daughters or grandkids to right. pass pass the the business on to. Right. And and so again, maybe this is where you're seeing more legacy in the ESOP popularity. Right. I, I agree. Is the ESOP a a fad? Maybe that's not the right terminology, but is it is it a fad right now in the marketplace? No. It's not a fad because both sides of the fence in Congress, Republicans, Democrats, love it. You know, you're selling it to employees. The bipartisan succession yeah, plan. Yeah, Never yeah. heard of that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the Republicans sort of like the tax advantages of it. The Democrats like that the employees are getting to own the business. So it's got a lot of support from our, our government. Banks are feeling more comfortable lending to ESOPs. Business owners are getting more comfortable, more educated about it. So it's not a fad. It's a growing thing that I think is going to continue on. So we're learning more and more and seeing success stories. Right. And, and so I think that's what's uh, breeding the, uh, the, the interest. Right. You know, I've also heard you say that the ESOP is not for everybody, not right. for every business. Right. Can you give us an example? Sure. Well, ESOPs are expensive to set up. Because you need a lot of professionals. You have to have a trustee who represents the benefits of the employees buying the stock. They hire another valuation person. You have lawyers involved. You have third-party administrators. Uh, Because of that, you have to be fairly profitable. I would not consider an ESOP unless you had $600,000 to $700,000 of EBITDA before you would even consider it. So if you're lower than that, ESOP's too expensive for you. Number two is you have to have a succession in management. You can't sell it to a company that has no succession, no managers to run the business. So there's got to be a solid core of people running the business behind you. Now, are these costs, are the, uh, obviously there's a one-time cost to get everything set up, but right. you're, you're saying it's even more than that. It's an ongoing yeah. uh, cost to your, that's hitting your bottom line. Well, the ongoing cost is not as bad. That initial cost is a six-figure transaction cost. Ongoing cost, you have to have a valuation every year. The trustee cost could be lowered and those type of things, but that that initial cost is what's really expensive. And some of those ongoing costs uh, could be offset by not having the income tax consequences depending on the size. The other thing is studies show that companies that are employee-owned perform better. It's funny, one of the very first ESOPs I did was a union sh- shop. It was a factory, and the guy who, who was the owner says it was great. He's walking outside, and somebody's yelling at each other, saying, you've got to get that done. We own this company. And it was just sort of this pressure to get things done better. And I see that. I think ESOP-owned companies perform better because people are seeing the direct benefit of being owners. And they look at their statement every year and say, wow, the stock has gone up. My retirement plan's gone up, and it's all because the valuation of the business has increased. Maybe there's more accountability by each yes. employee to, yes. hey, you know, uh, let's watch utility costs, let's right. watch our waste costs, uh, yep. let's watch our labor costs, yep. et cetera, et cetera. So they are truly part of of the business. So I do think those extra costs that you get for valuations and those type of things are made up by increased productivity. You know, you'd mentioned uh, some of the other succession plan uh, options. Uh, in your opinion, where does ESOP fit in the plan? Is that 
quickly rising to the top in your in your book? I think it depends. Again, I asked the owner, what's the most important to you? If you have enough cash flow, if you're, you're a successful business, your legacy is important, and you uh, don't... The, the, the one downside of the ESOP, you can't just sell to maybe the manager or the president gets 80% and the rest get 20. It's sort of equalized based right. upon compensation and stuff like that. So if you're okay with this equal distribution of the stock, you know, some get a little bit more, um, it's great. But if you want to reward just two or three employees, maybe it's not the right thing. So. It's uh, yeah. It's got to uh, be a wide net across right. the uh, the entire workforce. That's correct. So you and I uh, had a had a brief discussion about an ESOP maybe as an estate planning uh, technique where an individual was was maybe going to put in their their will and their documents that they wanted to protect the legacy and they were going to maybe ask the executor to you know, after their demise, uh, ask the executor to to develop an ESOP. And and we both looked at each other and thought, wow, that's unique, but maybe not for everybody. Yeah, I, I think that there needs to be a further bridge because if he passes away, then we have to go out and figure out who the trustee is. And I think a lot of value could be lost. So I think there needs to be a little bit more planning. But I think it is a nice succession plan in that case, so... So if I want to start an ESOP, and and we talked about this with uh, with Dave Phillips uh, last week's episode, is it's not one of those things you just okay I'm going to wake up tomorrow and right. get my ESOP uh, crunched by the uh, the end of the month, right, right? You know, realistically, what's my time frame, start to finish? Good question. I, I think the first thing to do is a feasibility study, and what that does is it gives you a range of what the possible values could be what your net proceeds will be after tax. It also shows you whether the company can afford it based upon the valuation assumptions. So again, if you do 100% ESOP, it's a 100% leveraged deal. Say the company's worth $10 million when when it's valued, you do get a $10 million loan to pay off the owner. So the value the next day is zero. It's 100% leveraged. So can the company actually afford the debt? That's part of the feasibility study. So once you say, yeah, that looks good, to, if you said, let's rock and roll, get this thing done, it's probably a four to six months process. Okay, four to six months. Yeah. And uh, maybe longer, depending, because you got to get a, a lot of things lined up. Right, uh, right. You'd mentioned financing. And is this a, a, a difficult credit? Is it a tough thing to get financed? No. No, it's just like any other transaction. You know, the bank will look at a multiple of EBITDA as far as how much they're going to leverage, you know, what type of assets they can collateralize. It's just like any other deal. You know, in your valuation and feasibility studies, are you seeing a gradual increase in the EBITDA numbers? Business getting better? Well, there's one thing that's happened uh, in 2018 is valuations have gone up because of the new tax law. Because the valuation is all based upon future cash flow so for a C-Corp, you made a lot of money. Your, your tax rate was like 34 35%. Right. Now right. it's 21%. So there's more cash flow. Thus, valuations have gone up right now. So just because of the tax law. You know, with these uh, great draft choices we're going to have, uh, yeah. what do you think? Uh, five wins, six wins, 
Mm. Well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, I like Taylor. I think they just signed a Landry to an extension today. I see. Can you know, hopefully get- Gordon stays. You know, up on the up and up, and um, yeah, I, I'll say six. Six, okay. Yeah, I'll say six. All right, that would be, um, that'd be great. Since what did we win in over the last two years? One game. One game. That would be, uh, that would be phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. Well, so in the in the time we have left, let's talk about how to successfully implement an ESOP. And I'm not sure where to start, even with the questions. Obviously, you have to make a decision to get things going, but. Right. Maybe that's a tough one. How do you get a, a business owner to even decide? I, I think, again, the feasibility study is a nice little document that shows range of value, net proceeds, the affordability of it. And we also have a lot of discussions of the advantages and disadvantages and maybe do some analysis of other exit strategies, what that looks like. And they say, yeah, let's go. They probably should have somebody to quarterback the deal to help pull together the trustees. A good the, the quarter, Lord, a franchise quarterback. A right? franchise quarterback, not um, what the Browns have. You know, I just got married two or three weeks ago. And my new wife, bless her heart, she's a Bengals fan, but she didn't like the way I decorated my house. You know, I had Brian Slate posters. Oh, for sure. And yeah. the, the Farrah Fawcett poster and that type oh, of yeah, stuff. Okay. The, the 1980 dorm yeah. room style. Oh, yeah. But yeah, you know, black light going, a yeah, little yeah, lava black lamp. Light, yeah, and all oh, that stuff. Okay. All right. But, now we're talking man cave. So, yeah, so you need a Brian site. Yes, you, you do. Know. Yeah. So we can't use any other Brown quarterback. Well, Bernie, <laughs> we could use Bernie. Bernie, yeah. Yeah, but we, we can skip over 30 other. 30 names. other ones. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, let's see where we're. Oh, we were at the most important thing uh, the quarterback. No. Uh, implementing the, uh, the plan, obviously, you, you'd mentioned uh, four to six months. It's the emotional things we got to get over. Right. There's the analytical process, the right. banking, right. the legal, the valuation. Right. So you want somebody to sort of quarterback this to you know, help you interview the trustees, select the trustee. They'll select the valuation person on their side. Then you want somebody on your side to help negotiate, get you the right deal. And also to look at the bank financing. You know, you want to maybe get two or three banks involved to give you a proposal and to do some analysis on that, what what works, and those type of things. You know, the other thing that I've heard your group do as you as you go through and look at these feasibility studies is that you'll hook up a ESOP prospect, let's say, with another Ray client that's been through an ESOP. Right. So so you you kind of now they have a friend to talk to, somebody right. that's been through it. Right. And that's kind of a valuable part of your feasibility study that goes unnoticed sometimes. No, that's great. Yeah. That is so wonderful to be able to talk to somebody who's been through it, the advantages and disadvantages of it and stuff like that. Yeah. So as they, uh, as, as our clients uh, talk to one another about ESOPs and they talk about Tim McDaniel's, uh, you know, ability to do a fee- feasibility study, are they going to say Tim's in the Hall of Fame? He's a top draft choice. He's, t- he's top draft choice this, uh, this time around. Well, we'll say yes. I, I will say yes. Uh, okay. <laughs> I will say yes on your behalf. That's kind of an unfair question, but uh, I think they would say resounding yes. He's well, our guy. He's I've been involved with over 2,500 valuations, been involved with a lot of M&A deals in the last 30 years. So I think I can get a pretty good idea where the value is going to be and, and the other parts of the ESOP. So. And, you know, you've seen a little bit of, of everything. Yes. 
You know, we've talked about uh, throughout the last uh, few minutes about all the positive things that have occurred. You know, have you run into anything that's really negative, a downer sure. on these deals? Yeah. I, the, the downsides to ESOPs is you have more regulation. The Department of Labor and the IRS okay. are interested in what's going on. Good the point. Department of Labor is going to audit the initial transaction. So it's really important to do everything correctly, have the right attorney, the right valuation people, and all those type of things. There have been some cases, I, I think this is why people get scared of ESOPs, that there's been a lot of things in the More press regulation. where, where um, Department of Labor's come in and audited and slapped some heavy fines. But that's where I think owners got really greedy and did some things that weren't correct. But that's going to have, that's part of the downside is you're going to have some regulations, a little bit more paperwork. The one thing I, I think is some people get worried, well, my employees are going to own the stock, therefore they're going to see the tax returns, they're going to run the company. That's not correct. They are owners, but the trustee actually holds oh, all the stock. Right. Uh, you can still set up your own board of directors and run the company like you did. But if you're taking out big, you'll get a employment contract. So you no longer can take out any salary you want. Right. You know, right. You there are some set. controls. It's there not the wild, controls. wild west by right. any means. Right. right. But not everybody's going to make all the decisions. Right. Just right. because you own some of the stock in the company. Yeah. The employees will, you know, if you were going to sell the company or do anything major like that, would get a chance to vote. But they don't run the day-to-day -day thing. Our guest today has been Tim McDaniel, a principal and director of valuation and feasibility studies of ESOPs at Ray and Associates. Tim is located in the Dublin, Ohio office, but travels uh, throughout the state of Ohio and throughout uh, uh, the country. Hometown, I believe, is Worcester, Ohio. That's correct. How about that? And 2018, 19 is the year we're going to have the Super Bowl, the World Series, and the NBA championship, right? There you go. And uh, check our website out. I think Tim has his mock draft coming up here in a few minutes. So okay. uh, check that out. Uh, Tim, thanks again for joining us sure. on Unsuitable today. Great uh, presentation. I've really enjoyed learning more about what goes on behind uh, the scenes and implementing an ESOP and just how important the quarterback is. And it takes a while. Be patient, but get that quarterback in place and, and go for it. That's right. Listeners, if you have an ESOP-related question, go ahead and send them our way. Emails can be sent to podcast at raycpa.com. And don't forget to subscribe to Unsuitable on iTunes to make sure you don't miss future episodes of our award-winning podcast. Until next time, I'm Dave Kane, encouraging you to loosen up your tie and think outside the box. The views expressed on Unsuitable on Ray Radio are our own and do not necessarily reflect the views of Ray and Associates. The podcast is for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended to replace the professional advice you would receive elsewhere. Consult with a trusted advisor about your unique situation so they can expertly guide you to the best solution for your specific circumstance.